Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. We are a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can listen on Spotify, Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And it's also a blog under Grizzly Bear Blues, under SB Nation. You can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at Grizzlies. Lots of great content going on. We got our draft profiles rolling right now. We also have the GBB Community Mod Draft. For better or for worse, it's on. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Well, I, I'm Parker Fleming, and introducing uh, Big Nate Chester, a.k.a. we got Sleeveless Nate up in here. It's like the the Untouched Kyria podcasting. You know it's going to be a special episode when I come in sleeveless. It's gang sign John Wall. It's Untucked Kyrie. Call whatever you want. Um, I'm here to ball today, Parker. And I, I think this is probably the first time I've ever said anything before you officially introduced me. And I know that kind of throws off the vibe a little bit, if you will. But you mentioning our community mock draft, it, <sighs> It, it, it brings some words out of me, uh, for better or for worse. But um, let's just, I, all I can say is, and this is all I'm going to say, is just be happy that um, the average NBA fan is not the GM of your favorite team because as much hate as we give a lot of different GMs around the league, they probably deserve a little more respect and credit than we give them. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. Some of the guys that were available after the lottery and closer to 20 to where I picked as the Boston Celtics, they shouldn't have been there. I, I will never forget this, and I'm never going to let this person live this down. And I'm not going to name him because it'd be disrespectful and people would laugh at him if I did so. But he was the Utah Jazz GM in last year's community mock draft. And I don't remember all the exact details, but I think it generally came out to where I was sending out Buddy Heald for three first-round picks because <laughs> I, think- I was the Sacramento GM. And I remember I sent that trade request to Joe Millenax and this was like the first phase of the draft where we said trade anybody trade absolutely everybody no committee nothing as long as both sides agree it's a good trade and we had I think probably upwards of 20 to 30 trades in the span of like 5 to 6 hours and that was the trade that finally broke the camel's back and I remember I remember Joe's response. He said something along the lines of, why the F would they agree to that? And that that was the end of all trades. And that was why the committee was eventually formed and the community mock draft. And, um, yeah, and still the trades are. Just be happy that these GMs are the 30 most qualified people to run an NBA team. Just be happy, okay? 
right. If you want to discuss more about the GBB community mod draft, just hit us up. We'll talk. We'll tell you about. It. We'll give you some insider you'll stuff. You'll de- you'll definitely on Twitter get our censored and definitely filtered thoughts to protect other people's feelings. Exactly. At the core four, we we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. So, so. we we give you BS. Sometimes. 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 Not when we talk basketball. Yeah. All right. Speaking of that, of basketball, because this is a basketball podcast and all that stuff. Yep. Um, so we ended the last show we did together talking about um, a certain prospect um, who we could potentially get in any Mike Conley trade scenarios. Oh, what prospect, Parker? Uh, it's going to trigger some... PTSD, some post-the-beat stress disorder. Oh, I know where this is going now. Um, you like Bol Bol. I do not like Bol Bol, Parker. I love Bol Bol. There's, I don't understand why there is so much hesitance around him. It, maybe that's not completely accurate. I do understand it. He had the same foot injury that Kevin Durant had um, in his uh, penultimate year with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And so, and of course, like foot injuries with big men in the NBA is something you obviously have to monitor and keep in mind if it becomes a chronic problem. But this is a one-time injury that he had near the beginning of his freshman season in Oregon, about nine or ten games into his freshman season. He has his foot injury. It's a one-time occurrence. It could become a reoccurring problem. It could become chronic. But we don't really have any evidence to suggest that at this time. And at those ten games, he lit the world on fire. He's seven. Seven foot three, he got incredible. Um, his wingspan, I think, comes out to around seven five. So it's not like he has some absurd. The the um, combine results came out at seven seven. Seven seven. Okay, yeah. he didn't. He doesn't have this absurd seven nine, seven ten. Rudy Gobert, my uh, bomba wingspan, but still, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. But he has these insane physical measurables, and it's not like he's bad at basketball. He averaged 21 points and nine rebounds a game while shooting close to 40% from three. Parker, he's seven foot three, and let's be real, if he didn't have a single instinct about the game of basketball, you can protect the rim at seven foot three. Mm-hmm. You absolutely could do that. He should be able to do that at the NBA level. Um, what are the two things that you look for in a unicorn big man in the NBA? Shooting and defense. Shooting and defense. He can protect the rim. Actually, actually, instead of defense, I'll say shooting and ball handling. Interesting. Yeah, that's actually not fair. I think you, to be the complete unicorn, you because want like to you still have. To it. I mean, true, but I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, he can handle the ball. Joel Embiid, Demarcus Cousins, uh, even Jaron Jackson Jr. can handle the ball. Yeah. But it also like. I agree with you too. It does a disservice to you know guys like Miles Turner, who he can shoot from three, but he's also one of the best rim protectors in basketball. Yeah, but so it it's goes, it's like the three. Maybe yeah, say yeah, three of those. but it yeah. goes with it. Uh, you want to call it the triangle? Bo Bo has all three points of the triangle. He can dribble, he can shoot, he can create for himself, and he's an excellent defender. And I don't understand. Even with the medical red flag in the foot, I don't understand why some was it Kevin O'Connor that had him at twenty first in his mock draft. Uh, yeah, it was it, the ringer. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the ringer had him at twenty first, and especially in a draft like this, where it's generally considered the outside the top three, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. There's a bunch of uh, high floor, um, low ceiling type players. The Heat. 
by drafting Bull Bowl, you are swinging for the fences. Now, of course, it may not work out, but you mentioned yourself. I think you mentioned this on the podcast on the last one that you thought he could be a three. You thought he could be a wing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Along on, with, on the right team. Yeah, on the right, right team, team, he could be. Um, while being this insane seven foot three physical specimen that is a phenomenal all-around basketball player. And <laughs> there's a part of me that wonders in a potential Mike Conley trade. And here, I'm going down the list of teams. Uh, Utah, Indiana, Phoenix that could pot- uh, potentially want Conley. Um, Bowl, number six is probably a little high for, for Bowl. Yeah, six would be a little too high. I, I could talk myself into it. Do you want me to like kind of... That, that's a hot take? That is a I could take. I could I could really talk myself into ball ball at six. You know, after I share my both like kind of strengths of like ooh why I'd want ball ball, but also like ooh just maybe. imagine him with Jaron Jackson. Yes, but here's my thing with ball ball, and so for one, I do like the idea of getting ball ball with a, maybe if we trade Mike to somewhere like Miami or Utah, I think Utah, he, he'll already be gone, but Orlando, Indiana, Detroit, around Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, you're going to need shooting. Mm-hmm. And Bull Bull is, would be an awesome it, stretch for to have. It's an ideal shooter. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that can kind of concerns me is where does he fit defensively? Because, he needs to gain some weight if he wants to. He does. Like he's seven foot three. I'm five eleven, and I'm not a fat dude, but I weigh more than him probably. Yeah, uh, I think I, <laughs> I'm close to him. Yeah, um, and I like, think, I think. But also, can he defend in space and defend these fours and threes? Like, is he quick I enough? He, to, I, I think he could defend fours right now. I think depend, I, I think he could. It depends um, on the four, though. It, it, it does. Like maybe I, someone like a Draymond Green is um, now. Draymond's not a shooter or a scorer per se, but Draymond, because of his mobility, is a tough cover for any four in the NBA. But could and, he defend someone like, I mean, Pascal Siakam or Giannis Antetokounmpo? Well, hopefully you can have someone. Hopefully you have Kyle Anderson spending most of his time on Giannis in this type of scenario. Um, hopefully he can grow into that guy. He's not a finished product yet. Kid is, I think, 18 and a half years old. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he'll be 19 when he's drafted. Uh, he's got plenty of time to grow into his body. And he's certainly never going to be a physically built guy. That's mm-hmm. just not his frame. But, um, and of course, it, one of the best players in the world, possibly the best player in the world. But Kevin Durant is proof in and of itself that you don't have to have a super built frame. Uh, basketball strength and raw physical strength are obviously um, two very different things a good part of the time. And maybe for the time being, maybe there are some threes that Bobo Bo could guard. And maybe he has trouble moving his feet to stay in front of them. But when you got that much length, and he's very, very mobile for a guy his size. And when you have that much lateral agility at seven foot three, even with the strength deficiency, he it's kind of like a tale of two extremes. Like you seem to think that because of his strength deficiency, that like he is really going to struggle to stay on the court defensively in the NBA. If he's playing I, the five, I, yes. I, because like playing against guys like Nurkic or Jokic or even Gasol. Well, Jaron can't even guard those guys right Exactly. Now. You're struggles. also you're yeah. also feeding Jaron into those guys. And we've seen with Anthony Davis early in his career where a lot of his injury concerns was getting beat up playing the five position too early in his career. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to do that to Jaron Jackson or Bull Bull as well. 
But like, the, the, uh, like do you we're, we're, we're not building for year one, though. We're thinking three or four years. I know, but you're thinking, I'm thinking about like preserving them as far as like yeah. protecting them. And that's like that's why I kind of like but, the idea of keeping a guy like Jonas Valanciunas is to yeah, keep yeah. Jaren away from the Nurkic and Jokic and Gasols of the world. Yeah. Guys that are protect, a solid. Protect our wayward son, if you will. Um, but I so see, that can I carry see. on. It, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I want, sorry, Isaiah. I want, I want that was a little too white. Nah, that's bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, what? But, but I see a guy that could potentially, and maybe if you don't keep Valanciunas, even if you do, maybe you need to make a free agent signing, maybe a vet minimum. Um, is Greg Monroe going to be an unrestricted free agent this year? Actually, I do have a guy I would like to get, like a veterans minimum and level exception kind of guy. That's Dwayne Dedman. Yeah, yeah. He's big body. He, he may get more than vet minimum though. Dep- Watch, watch this what's going to happen uh, Brooke Lopez is going to get paid somewhere and then Milwaukee would just turn Dwayne Devin into black Brooke Lopez and, and there's uh, too many centers on the free agency market so yeah. that's going to hurt him as far as the contract is concerned anyway mm-hmm. So that's a potential offer but you can do whatever you need to do to try to preserve him and both Jaron for the here and now but three or four years down the road I could see him being an all NBA level defender capable of guarding three positions on the court yeah. Four positions on the court. Maybe. Yeah. And we'll see going down the line. But And I talked about this in my post, and we can talk about Saku if you want here in a minute. But the Grizzlies, by a potential Mike Conley trade, if you move into the latter part of the lottery, even closer up to the 6 through 8 range, um, you've already got your two franchise cornerstones here. you got Jaron Jackson, and hopefully the second one will be John Morant. You got your two guys you want to build around. Now, we don't know exactly what Morant will end up being. We all think he'll be great. I don't really see any reason to think that why he won't be great, Jackson Frank. But. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay, just keep going. Keep okay, going. but um, you have your two guys that you can build a franchise, you can build a contender around. So you're going to be able through future drafts, and they'll probably convey the pick next year, which is another discussion entirely. But you're going to have future draft picks. You're going to have free agency where you can fill out role players that play off the strengths of both Morant and Jaron Jackson. So my thought is. If you get another pick here in the latter part of the lottery from a potential Conley trade, you can afford to miss with that pick. And if you can afford to miss with that pick, why not take a swing for the fences? Why not go for it all? Why not draft a Bowl Bowl? Why not draft a Saku Dumbaya? Why not go for it Dang, all? You did a really good job with that last name. I had a Dumbaya. Dumbaya. I like it's it. A, it's a beautiful name. It rolls it. right off the tongue. No yeah. issues at all. But if you nailed that pick, if Sakumbaya turns into a Giannis Antetokounmpo for like I don't, <laughs> as crazy as that might sound, or uh, Pascal Light, as you may have called him mm-hmm. at one point, or if uh, Shoot, Bo Bo, why Light? It, Pascal Siakam. I mean, yeah, and, and if Bo Bo, I don't even know what to compare him to. I can't even really think of a proper precedent for him. <laughs> I can't, um, a a, a uh, Kevin Durant slash. I think right now... A Kevin Durant, Jaron Jackson hybrid? <laughs> you're going to hate me for this comp, but as until I see what he could do defensively, I think he's like... Uh, he's Kevin... Like, he's Nikola Mirotic and Kevin Durant's body. Actually, I like that a lot. I like that. Wow. Yeah, Thank, I, you. I, Thank actually, you. That's actually really good. Thank you. You thought I'd hate it. I like that Anal- a lot. Analysis. Analysis right there. But, Hashtag analysis. 
You know, I'm like with you on this philosophy of um, if the Grizzlies do acquire a second lottery pick, I would like, or even a second draft pick in general in the first round, I kind of want to swing for the fences. Now, if it's something like you get the fourth pick or in some hypothetical scenario from Los Angeles, I would be completely fine with somebody like DeAndre Hunter, who's somebody think many people think he's an extremely high floor player, but not doesn't have one of the highest upsides in the draft. I personally disagree with that. I think DeAndre Hunter could be an all-star, 3-and-D type wing at some point. Luau Deng. A Luau Deng type mm-hmm. player. And I'm perfectly fine if that's the third guy you want to get. But by trying to swing for the fences, if, Seku, or if Morant becomes the player that we think he is and Jaron continues on his rapid development from his rookie season, and if someone like Seku, if someone like Bo Bo becomes all that I think that they could be, you have a title contender in four or five years. That's not an understatement to say that. In a, poor, in a post-Warriors world and whatever's going on in the NBA at the time, you have a title contender. Mm-hmm. And why not aim for the stars at this point? Because you're never going to get guys of that caliber in free agency. That's not a revolutionary thing I just said for the Memphis Grizzlies. That's not going to happen. You want you want to have an Oklahoma City situation where obviously they didn't deal with the problem in the best way and they kept the worst of the three players, but you want to have the Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden situation in Memphis, you got to do it the same way Oklahoma City did. That's through the draft. So you mentioned the idea of getting six, and before the show we were talking saying if, as far as like a potential Conley trade, if let's say one top five goes Zion, Ja, RJ, Garland, Hunter. I mean, I don't think Phoenix is going to take Kobe White or Jarrett Culver. They so, would rather trade for Conley. Yeah. Um, but Col- Col- Here's the thing for Phoenix, and I may be – and my girlfriend would probably know better than me. He was a huge Phoenix Suns fan. But Phoenix is at a situation where not only do they need a desperate point guard, their fans need some optimism, some positive sign that despite all the talent they have, that everything will be trending in the right direction. Mike Conley provides that for them far more than than Colby White. Frankly, even Darius Garland does for that matter. Mm -hmm. But um, Darius Garland, he's a clutch client. He left, he apparently left the combine early with a promise, with a promise at a certain selection. You told me before the show began, I didn't even know this, that he was spotted with LeBron and Rich Paul at one of Bronny's game, and Bro- I love mm-hmm. Bronny. I defend that kid to death. That's a different <laughs> story entirely. Yeah, <laughs> Instagram is a wonderful place. But so there's something I want to ask you, mm-hmm. and um, so let's say those five are off the board, and Phoenix calls. They trade. They want to give you six: Tyler Johnson and T.J. Warren for Mike Conley. Obviously, you take that. That's a home run. Yeah. All right, so. Do you know who I think I would take? No. I think I'd take Cam Reddish over Jared Culver. I don't hate that. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, uh, Greg Radley. We we just we already talked about uh Bull Bull and Cam Reddish. Like Parker don't cancel our show, please. I, I, I hate how much I have taught myself into Cam Reddish over the last couple of weeks because I told mm-hmm. myself once the combine comes around, Nathan, Cam Reddish is going to look amazing. He's going to look amazing in workouts. Don't let him do this to you. The man can't play basketball. 
But here we are. Part the the thing that that just really bothers me as far as my initial Cam Reddish skepticism is, of course, there are so many things that bother me about his freshman season. His motor didn't always seem to be there. There is some validity to the Jeff Green, Andrew Wiggins cop, even though they're all three very different players. Um, The motor didn't always seem to be there. Um, 35% from the field, 31% from three. Just never really found his place. Didn't demonstrate one elite skill at all Mm -hmm. while he was at Duke. But part of my regaining confidence came from a single video on Twitter. And it was from Ball is Life. Twitter account, and they were talking to a bunch of hot, top high school profit, uh, prospects, and I want to say James Wiseman was one of them, and it, different prospects both in this year's draft and coming into college in the class of 2019, and it was one by one, they asked them who the hardest player they'd ever guarded in high school in AAU was, you know who they said over and over? Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish. Yeah. Over and over again. And that really got me thinking. It's like, just forget all the statistical ugliness his freshman year at Duke. Forget the fact that he was one of the worst finishers at the rim in NCAA history. Um, Just think about it. Dude's been one of the best basketball players at every single age group he's ever been in. Always has been. And he gets into a situation at Duke where there's no other really good shooting on the team. He gets outshined by two better prospects in R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. And um, there's just not enough balls to go around for the mm-hmm. three of them. And I think we could be looking at a very similar situation, similar in the sense that two guys weren't used correctly. I looked at Jaron Jackson and the way he was used at Michigan State yeah. and said, I don't see greatness in this guy. I don't see him being great in the NBA because I don't see him outshining the other stars in college basketball. And yet Tom Izzo, a guy who's considered one of the best college uh, coaches in college basketball, uh, 92-9 brought him into an interview about the halfway point of Jaron's rookie year. And Tom says, I messed up. I messed up. Could we have a similar situation with Coach K and Duke and Cam Reddish by the midpoint of Reddish's rookie season? And a lot of a lot of his areas where he really struggled finishing at the rim, he's going to have a lot more spacing to work with in the NBA. And mm-hmm. you could talk me into his jumper going in a lot more in the NBA than it did at Duke. Here's my thing with Cam and his Duke season. Yeah, he has his red flags with his motor. His shooting wasn't as good as advertised. His finishing for a 6'9" player with a seven foot wingspan is atrocious mm-hmm. but just think most college teams pack in a zone yep um trey jones was a non-shooter and he was their point guard yep zion and rj barrett great talents but barrett, they're barrett but they're ball, ball well. but they're ball stoppers mm-hmm. and they're not great shooters and they also played zion in the front court alongside a non-shooting big man so there's no spacing to go around and on top of that factoring a zone into that good luck yeah like i'm telling you like he was th- regularly shooting over two and three guys whenever he went to the paint, mm-hmm. and he didn't have the insane athleticism of Zion Williamson to compensate mm-hmm. for it. But just think of what Cam could potentially do, because we've obviously seen he doesn't want to be an alpha guy, and that's not totally fine. He won't be in Memphis. But he'll have a point guard that can pass the ball. And I want to quote Pete Edmondson when, uh, when I say this, because uh, shout out to Peter also, because the two posts he's had on John Moran have been brilliant. Um, and really enjoyed watching all those highlights, Peter. And um, John Morant probably would have averaged 13, 14 assists if he had better teammates. 
So why... He's one of the best passers in NCAA history, and that's not an exaggeration. Right, and so Cam will ha- won't have so much attention drawn to him because teams are going to be focused on John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And if they keep Jonas Valanciunas, teams are also going to focus on Valanciunas more. So out of maybe those double teams or when John Morant's driving to the paint, Cam Reddish is going to have a lot of open threes. He would. And going back to our initial, your initial point about wanting him over Culver, I am about to offend our site manager and a few of our writers on staff. About I am, Culver? I'm not high on Culver at all. And here's the reason why. I probably wouldn't pick him in the top 10. I know Greg Ratliff is rolling over, uh, cussing at me, screaming at me right now listening to this. But here's the reason why. Um, and I'm about to make it a, a comparison that seems obscene on the surface. Let's think back to when Mario Hazonja came in. <laughs> I, have, I have a totally different comp for Hazonja, yeah. or for uh, Culver. It, let, let me finish yeah. this first. So Hazonja came in, and to this day, Hazonja has people saying, I do not understand for the life of me why this guy was not good. He was a good three-point shooter. He was a very good athlete. He was good at creating for himself. He was a good defender over in Europe. Why did this guy not succeed in the NBA? Now, the reason is, first off, here's a part of it. He was not elite at either of those things. He was a decent to solid three-point shooter. He was a decent to solid finisher. And he was a decent, solid creator for himself. And in Europe, he had the ball constantly in his hands the entire time. When he got to the NBA, he didn't have any of these elite skills to fall back on when the ball was not in his hands 24-7 because here's Azonia's problem in the NBA. For him to be the best version of himself, your team has to not be very good. For Azonia to look like a good NBA player, the ball has to be in his hands most of the time. And of course, what NBA team is going to put the ball in Mario Azonia's hands most of the time? He's a a decent three-point shooter, but he's not a, a good off-ball threat, never has been. He's a decent playmaker and creator, but never a great one, never elite one, and barely maybe a starting caliber one in the right situation. This kind of falls in with my line of reasoning about Culver. It's Culver, tech, the Texas Tech offense designed by Chris Beard was designed entirely around Culver. Culver had his hands on the ball for most of the session. I don't know his usage percentage off the top of my head, but he had the ball in his hands most of the time. He played with great shooters around him, even though he himself, for whatever reason, did not shoot the ball well at all in his sophomore season. He was a 39% three-point shooter his freshman season. He shot 31% from three sophomore season. No one really knows why that fell off the way that it did, but it is what it is. He was not a great shooter, but he had spacing from other great shooters where he was able to have space to create for himself and do it often well, which is something he did very well at. But what's going to happen when he gets in the NBA and let's say he's on the Atlanta Hawks and the ball's in Trey Young's hands most of the time. What is he going to do? Because he's not a great three-point shooter, he's not going to be. They're not going to. Teams are not going to pay a ton of attention to him off the ball. They're just not going to. So what's he going to do once he gets in the NBA and he doesn't have the ball in his hands most of the time? And he's not a three and D player. Pretty good defender, but a three-point shooter? I don't know. See that this is where my comparison comes in. I think if he does like, like you said, his 
struggle or you don't know what he's going to do when he's off the ball if he can adapt to an on or off ball role and harness his three-point shooting i think he could be another chris middleton but right now that's going to ultimately that's the one thing that ultimately determine his nba career yeah he gives me a lot of evan turner vibes that's not bad no like i think for him to be at his best i mean even i mean He's not good in Portland. He's not that good of an NBA player anymore. But Evan Turner thrived in Boston basically as like a de facto backup point guard with uh, the ball he, in his hands and creating for others and creating out of the mid-range. And that's that's what he did at Texas Tech. And he's playing against college players. And he was great at it to his yeah. credit. And maybe he could be an even superior version of Evan Turner at the NBA level. And I think it's also worth saying that Evan Turner may be the biggest reason why people think Brad Stevens is an excellent NBA coach. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Um, so we're, we're obviously not done talking this draft talk right now because there are some other players we want to talk about in a potential Mike Conley trade. But we're going to get right back to you after this ad. All right. So and the guys that we just talked about were mainly guys, I mean, Aside from Bol Bol and maybe Siku, Siku Dumbaya. I'll let you say that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. We mainly talked about guys that we would potentially draft with a um, Suns or Bulls pick, but I do want to talk about that middle that middle range because I think a lot of these teams that are going to um, trade for Mike Conley on draft night are middling playoff caliber teams to where they don't want to get caught on the wayside when you know Atlanta makes a rise or New York gets KD and or Kyrie all this kind of stuff I mean the Miamis Orlando's Detroit's I mean actually I think Orlando is going to be very hasty in going all in because they've never like this is their first they're, time they're making the playoffs. They're willing to take and try to build on any playoff success they have. Exactly. And another team we, teams we could see are like Indiana and Utah. And so I do want to talk about some guys in that range because there's two ways I want them to go. And that's getting a um, kind of a big man. A, like how we talked about with Bull Bull, a guy that can – it almost makes it – the four or five thing with him and Jaren, with Jaren, it would become more matchup based. To where sometimes Jaren might be the four, you know, guarding a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Pascal Siakam, or he's playing the five sometimes guarding a guy like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, stuff like that. Or they can go get a guard to find a compliment to John Morant, and that's the first yeah. thing I want to talk about. Is because the main three uh, off guards that are in that range. That little like thirteen, or I'll say eleven, because Minnesota's going to be in that range too as a potential Mike Conley player. Um, you, you'll have Romeo Langford, Tyler Harrow, and Kevin Porter Jr. And so, obviously, I think Porter and Langford are the more talented ones. But when it comes to playing alongside John Morant, Harrow is much better fit than Langford oh, in yeah. that role. Yeah, I think far. both of them fit more six men. And that's, I think you honestly need a good six man, man to be a good team. But if you really want to go find your starting shooting guard next to John Morant, Harrow, I would take Harrow. It, it, it's absolutely cliche for us as white people to say it, but that's only because it's pretty much true. And you no know, white guard in the NBA, it is what it is. Uh, Tyler Harrow. 
J.J. Redick with defense has his peak ceiling in the NBA. Oh, yeah. That's a, I bet a better defense. Redick's a solid team defender, mm-hmm. but a better one-on-one defender, J.J. Redick. Yeah, and people really tend to forget that because his wingspan, he, he's 6'6", and his wingspan came out to 6'3". Mm-hmm. And then he also got blazed by uh, Harper from Auburn, but then again, Harper was one of the fastest guys in college basketball. Yeah. Tough, but, tough cover for anybody. Mm-hmm. Tyler Harrow held Fletcher McGee, one of the best three-point shooters in college basketball, to like 1 for 12 from 3 or 0 for 12. It, I think it goes without saying that you're not putting Tyler Harrow on Russell Westbrook or no. uh, whatever the mo- most explosive guard you can think of off the top of your head. But um, guarding the Gary Harrises of the world, guarding maybe the Bradley Beals of the world. The Oladipos. The Oladipos. Stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think granted, he, do, dude, he can do as good a job as anybody. As most people can against guys like that, right? And I'm going to be completely honest. I, as an upside play, I do like. Uh, I'm going to just refer to Kevin Porter as KPJ. So you know, Kevin Porter Jr. That's just you know, omit needless words mm-hmm. as your English teachers probably taught you. The second coming of James Harden coming out of the Pac-12. Uh, that's my thing with Kevin. That, so, that, uh, that, that, that's Parker's. I, I'm using uh, Parker's, yeah. Don't, don't give that credit to me. You know, I'm just going to say some time. It's going to be on GBB tomorrow. You'll hear all I had to say about Kevin Porter Jr. But with Langford, I want to know if the thumb thing affected his three-point shooting or if he's that bad of a three-point shooter. And can he also play off-ball? It's because he has all, all the makings all, all, of a all good I got, player. All I got to say is, if his thumb was not the reason why he shot the ball the way he did, and he's just not a good shooter, then he's got one hell of an excuse going into the NBA draft to help up his stock. Um, Yo, could you imagine the next day? So June twenty first, it's already up on Fan Side of Network. Oh, Memphis Grizzlies, Romeo Langford could be the next Donovan Mitchell. Oh, Jesus. Can you see it now? <laughs> I can see it now. Oh, don't you put that evil but on me. He does, a- he does give off a lot of, you know, those vibes of like maybe a Donovan Mitchell, DeMar DeRozan, because his his isolation scoring is so good. It is. And it's but that makes bit, him a six-man. It, it is for me, whether he could shoot or not, he's somebody – and I mean this in the sense that all NBA players are obviously good basketball players, but Romeo Langford just uh, – I'm com- comparing it to an NBA player. He just gets basketball. He knows how to play the game. Even if he's never a great shooter in the NBA, he will be a positive benefit to an NBA team. Like, he will find ways to score, put the ball in the basket. Now, if he doesn't have a consistent three-point shot, will he be a starter? Maybe not. But as a six man, he will find a way to make your team better. Yeah. And if he because and if he if it was the thumb that was causing the issues for him in Indiana, and let's say he's a 36, 37 percent three point shooter at the NBA level, you're looking at a possible star. Mm-hmm. That's not an exaggeration. All right, so let's just throw this hypothetical out there. To like, there's one trade I saw on the Ringer, and I fall, fell in love with it. It was absolutely beautiful. It was. You're going to barf when I say the first part, but Timothy Mozgov, DJ Augustine, the 16th pick, and Mo Bamba. Or even just do like Fournier, Augustine, and the 16th pick. This is for Conley, right? For Conley. Yeah. 
And Langford and Harrow are both on the board. Who are you taking? Boy, boy, boy. you got me caught on Baba and Jaron together. That's, oh, for, my. that's for another. I, I, just, just for the second of our collective um, pleasure, I just want to imagine this would, I don't even know how this would ever possibly work in a trade, but Jonathan Isaac, Jaron, and Baba. I don't, getting both. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, no one would ever score. No, no. no one under six ten for three through five. Oh gosh, bro! The Orlando Magic GM be waking up in Cardi B's house after that trade. <laughs> <laughs> oh nice. Uh, but anyways, so that's sixteenth pick. The Memphis Grizzlies uh, select is it is it Langford or Harrow? Both are on the board. Who are you picking? It's a tough one. For the uh, sake of the GM, I, I think I think I have to. If I'm going to be consistent, I probably picked Langford just because I want my overall philosophy. If I get a second pick in the lottery or near lottery um, in a Mike Conley trade, I want to swing for the fences. Langford mm-hmm. represents more of a swing for the fences, more of a Bill Street Bears ass Donovan Mitchell's post type player. Than Tyler Harrow does. Now, will Tyler Harrow end up being the better NBA player? I think there's a better chance than not that will be the case. So that's kind of an iffy 50 50. That I would be pretty torn on that. I think Harrow would be a better fit with John Jaron. So I if I were a GM and I'm sitting in the war room and those two are the top of my board and I'm having to make a decision, I would probably be flipping my mind about it every 30 seconds and then hopefully I just send it in and hope for the best. Yep. Yeah. I think my um my bank account would want it to be Romeo Langford because I promised our legendary group message a round of beers if we draft Tyler Harrow. But your inner Kyle, your frat boy persona wants Tyler Harrow. <laughs> we are two white frat guys. We want Tyler Harrow so we can wear his jersey and then a sweatshirt over it to parties. You mean a sweatshirt under it? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Well, I don't do that. You do that. Yeah, so I do that. I, I'm just kind of playing. That's a stable. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes, as a fraternity male, getting well, Tyler Harrow. A white Harrow, fraternity male. Man. Getting Tyler Harrow would be pretty sick. But also, I'm just imagining, you know, it's almost like the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young and Kevin Hurd. You have John Moran driving to the lane. They could. Defense collapses because it's like, oh, he might go up over our heads. Mm-hmm. But they also try to make sure Jaron doesn't get the ball either. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hero, corner three, bango. A hero, if you will. A hero in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, another idea that I mentioned here earlier is the idea of getting a guy that makes it more of a matchup-based thing in the front court alongside Jaron Jackson Jr., and there's really only three guys I see in that. We already talked about him, though. That's the thing. I put him my cursor on Bull Bowl just in case you forget him there. Yeah, so we and- <laughs> Um. So, I mean, honestly, but the guards are more enticing in that regard. I mean, I like the idea of doing a little high upside play with a Goga Beatstazi. I'm not even going to, sorry, I butchered that. I'll be real with our listeners. I know nothing about him. I, I don't really know much about him. And from Georgia. The Ringer uh, compared him a lot to uh, like a use of Nurkic or a shot blocking in his canner. Mm, yeah. But you have PJ Washington, which mm. I can see that happening. He's a Memphis kid. So. Yeah. Um, and then, I, let's throw one in for Joe here. Brandon Clark from Gonzaga, which I know there's a stereotype among Gonzaga NBA players and the fact that there are hardly any good Gonzaga NBA players. Kelly O'Lenick 
It's the best one that you and I can either think of. And uh, Parker, you got to forgive me. Uh, all of our listeners, I hope you could forgive me for disrespecting um, NBA champion Adam Morrison the way I just did. But uh, I will try to earn my credibility back here in the couple of minutes that we have left. But um, in all seriousness, uh, Brandon Clark, um, 6'8", power forward from Gonzaga, average. Did he lead the nation in blocks? Had over three blocks a game. I think so. And he also had more blocked shots than missed shots. Okay, that's a pretty crazy statistic. But um, imagine imagining him next to Jaron. Um, he kind of goes against my philosophy a little bit. He's 22 years old. Um, generally, he, he's not a shooter. He really isn't. He can hit some mid-range shots, but he's not a three-point shooter. He can score in the paint, but generally I kind of get the vibe of a finished product from him at 22. Now, him as a finished product next to Jaron Jackson is still a fearsome front court. And uh, I remember Joe made the case back in our community mock draft. I made a trade with him that ended up sending Brandon Clark to Memphis. And he ended up with um, um, Ja, Jaron, Justice Winslow, and Brandon Clark. And those are all guys under 23 years old. But you, um, you get Brandon Clark, 22 years old. Jaron, who will be 20 by the time the season starts. And Jaron, or a Jot, 19. And that's a heck of a three-player core to start building around. Mm-hmm. Would I prefer probably a little bit more of a higher upside play? Probably, but I would certainly not be disappointed with Clark. Right, and obviously I wouldn't either because at worst, because you already hinted that he's a finished product, I think he could be a guy similar to Paul Millsap at the next level, but his floor is at least Todd Gibson. Yeah. And that's still great. Mm-hmm. If it were me, though... That's a starting four. I think Clark is going to be off the board at any point in that. For the Grizzlies, probably. Um, I would go PJ Washington. I, I, or actually, yeah. uh, the thing I'm so torn between PJ and then Ruby Hachimara because I think PJ, I think PJ is also a lot like a Millsap kind of player. PJ can space the floor a little bit more than Rui can. Rui reminds me a lot of like Kyle Kuzma. Hmm. I see. At best. Rui's a little bit bigger than Kuzma, isn't he? I think I think they're yeah, the same size, roughly the same. Maybe an inch taller. You know what? Uh, uh, KOC compared Rui to yeah. washed up mellow. Oof. Actually, never mind. He's off the board. <laughs> never mind. PJ uh, <laughs> Washington. You, you had uh, as uh, two bloggers as a part of NBA Twitter. Um, the second we bring up mellow, everybody gets triggered because um, apparently Carmelo Anthony sucks at basketball and was never good at basketball, and that's the way things should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and so that really honestly kind of covers our draft talk. But, Nate, is there anything you want to talk about before we close? Let's go Raptors. Go Raptors. <laughs> and let's Nate. go Raptors. Our so. boy Marcus Sauls in the NBA Finals. Um, can you just imagine some hypothetical scenario where Marcus throws it back to 2015 and just. Averages like 18, 10, and 5 and plays incredible defense and wins finals MVP. No. No, no way. It's, it's, <laughs> this man's going to average five points a game in the finals. Boy. He's gonna, this isn't Marcus Hall's slander by any means, but he's going to average five shots a game. About three points on good efficiency. Great efficiency. Like, uh, I, was in the, uh, I was in the arena for game five last week. And so Mark Gasol, he didn't shoot his first shot attempt until the fourth quarter, and it was a three. So he's really just living his best life. 
But, you know, the Grizzlies, the city of Memphis, we're rooting for the Toronto Raptors because, one, we hate the Warriors. And, two, we want to see our own Mark Gasol thrive. And we also want to make sure that uh, Memphis Grizzlies legend Kyle Lowry gets to kind of cement his legacy as, like, a, a great point guard. He, um, he becomes a Hall of Famer. If, he, if they win a championship this year, I don't. I don't. Think that, I, I, I don't think that's particularly hot takey. Uh, I think there's um, just kind of a a joke narrative that probably has more grounds in fiction than it does in reality about how he doesn't perform in the playoffs. He has struggled in the playoffs in time, but Lowry was never supposed to be the number one option on those teams. DeRozan was, and DeRozan was the one that more constantly came up short than Lowry did. Yeah, I mean we're it, seeing that right now. It, it, we're seeing the truth. So we're seeing Lowry play at the same level he pretty much always had, and they truly have a top five. How oh, hell, it's the best player in the league. I'll stand He's firm the best on player in the He's the right best now. player in the NBA on his team, and we're seeing the end results of that. And I'm picking them in seven. I'm on the record that Toronto in seven. Toronto in seven for me as well. Or, you know, I want to go, uh, I want to be cool here. I want to go six in the six because, like, Toronto's called the six, you know? Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'm just ready for Drake v. Draymond. That's all I want. (laughs) No, what what Twitter really needs is Drake versus Guy Fieri. (laughs) Guy Fieri? Golden State games? Yes. (laughs) I did not know that. He's a Golden State fan. A fun fact, and this is for all my fraternity brothers out there, Guy Fieri was an ATO. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) You learn something new every single day. Take me to Flavortown, but I hope Raptors win in Flavortown. All right, with that, uh, Nate, plug your stuff in. You can follow me on Twitter at BigNateChester, and you can find all my Memphis Grizzlies and NBA content at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Yes, sir. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can find the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or on the web at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Make sure you read it. Joe Mullinax had a great column up to well, as we're recording this today, about Marcus All and just wishing him good luck in the NBA Finals. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also be sure to check out our draft content with the NBA draft profiles. We'll probably have some stuff on John Morant, Conley Trade, stuff like that. And also keep up with the GBB Community Mod Draft, everybody's favorite whirlwind. Yes, sir. And so follow the podcast Twitter on Twitter at the Core Four Podcast. That's the number four, not the word four. And make sure you're downloading our episodes and subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Megaphone. All right. So with that, we'll see you soon.